0: Today on the Tearsheet podcast.
1: And so we're excited about the fifth year. I think it's our best year ever, um, best cohort. Um, and We're very excited about how we continue to mature this. But um, the accelerator is focused. It's about us bringing solution sets to our clients that uh, may, we may not have at the moment, we may not be investing, or may not invest to build uh, on our own. And we recognize that uh, these accelerators are, are solving white space solutions for our clients. And so we choose. To work with early stage companies to try to help them mature their companies and also expose them to our client set to get real-time feedback go-to-market problem solving pricing those types of things to help them be better companies and also help our clients at the same time
0: welcome to the Tearsheet podcast i'm Tearsheet editor zach miller we've spoken to a lot of innovation program execs on this podcast from corporate venture investing to accelerator programs Traditional FIs in various ways are trying to leverage the innovation that's happening in fintech. This hasn't been lost on the providers either. FIS runs its own accelerator that gets early-stage fintech firms in front of its clients to help solve their problems. FIS banking product officer Spencer Jones joins me on the podcast along with Laura Kornhauser, CEO and founder of Stratify, a fintech company in the current cohort at the accelerator that develops AI-driven predictive modeling software for FIs. Here's our conversation. What could you do with better real-time consumer data? All data aggregation from Fiserv enables access to consumer permission data from over 18,000 sources. Lenders, advisors, fintech firms, and financial institutions can turn this data into actionable insight for their customers. Go to fiserv.com slash alldata to learn more. Before we hop into our show, I wanted to tell you about Tearsheet's upcoming Challengers Conference, a first-of-its-kind event. This two-day online conference is everything about digital banking. We'll have senior executives from top challenger banks like N26, Revolut, Oak North, and Betterment, as well as new entrants to the digital banking market like Intuit and Credit Sesame. It's all happening September 22nd and 24th. Go to tearsheet.co and click on conferences at the top to learn more and register.
1: Hi, I'm Spencer Jones. Uh, At FIS, I lead our banking product organization, Uh, FIS is is three different divisions. We have a merchant organization and product set focused on merchants. We have a capital market set product focused on capital markets. Um, And then we have a banking product set that that I lead. And so I also lead our accelerator. uh, And so that's part of our conversation today. And so the banking side of things, which would involve our banks, uh, payment products we offer to the banks uh, and the accelerator um, associated with uh, what we're gonna discuss today. And I've been with FIS for about two years. Most of my time has been uh, with uh, banks, like TD Bank of America, that sort of thing. So great to be here, excited to talk.
0: Thanks for joining us, Spencer. And Laura, can you identify yourself?
1: Absolutely.
2: Hi, I'm Laura Kornhauser. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Stratify. Stratify's platform helps financial institutions improve risk-based decision-making across their organization while also helping you do important things like mitigate unconscious bias and ensure regulatory compliance. Uh, We're talking about decisions like which loans to approve or what to investigate for potential fraud. And really core to our differentiator is what we we call true transparency uh, that allows us to bridge the gap between business users and data scientists, really marrying uh, subject matter expertise of the business user Uh, with the data modeling abilities of data scientists. Uh, And my background is in financial services. I spent over a decade at J.P. Morgan, and I'm very uh, proud uh, to be part of the current uh, cohort uh, in the FIS Accelerator.
0: Great, so thank you both for joining us today. Um, We'll start with Spencer. So can you give us a little background information on the FIS Accelerator?
1: Sure, so it's our fifth year, uh, and I would say we've learned each year a little bit more on how to be more effective uh, and more focused. And so we're excited about the fifth year. I think it's our best best year ever, uh, best cohort. Um, and we're very excited about how we continue to mature this. But two things I would, I would point out is, one, um, the accelerator is focused. It's about us bringing solution sets to our clients that uh, may, we may not have at the moment, we may not be investing or may not invest to build uh, on our own. And we recognize that Uh, these accelerators are are solving white space solutions for our clients. And so we choose to work with early stage companies to try to help them mature their companies and also expose them to our client set to get real-time feedback, go-to-market, problem-solving, pricing, those types of things to help them be better companies and also help our clients at the same time. The other thing about the accelerators is first year we've done it virtually uh, and we're not the only one in the world right now doing things virtually. And so Couldn't be more pleased and proud of the team to be able to pivot what is typically considered uh, face-to-face and and late nights and working together and sitting around scrum tables to try to redo all that virtually, I think was was pretty impressive. And at the end of the day, innovation is a combat sport and bumping up against others, bumping up against great ideas, figuring out how does that fit a need and not fit a need uh, is the purpose and point of the accelerator. And so we're thrilled to, to continue to do this and work with great companies.
0: I love that quote, that innovation is a combat sport. But before we go to Laura, Spencer, can you give us a little, I guess, drill a little bit deeper in terms of what um, what the cohort gets from FIS as part of the accelerator experience?
1: Yeah. So the reason I like innovation as a combat sport is you have to bump into ideas. You have to interact with folks. And so when you think about all the different offerings that FIS has, um, there are places where we'll choose to invest like a shareholder and we'll put uh, dollars in play and we'll take um, capital positions in companies uh, and we'll act like an investor. There's other places where we'll invest our own capital to build solutions. There's other places where we'll white label partnerships um, and we'll sell those solutions to our clients and to meet needs. And then there's other places like the accelerator where we're taking young ideas, young problems, ideas that haven't even completely matured yet, but we know there's something there. We know there's a problem to be solved in this case an example of unconscious bias these are areas that need focus and you start combining those with ai and some other components and you want to accelerate those ideas so we'll take young companies and we'll say we want to learn too we'll expose those clients and those young companies to our clients to our business partners uh, to our product partners to our technology partners And we'll start bumping those ideas back and forth. Well, why'd you think about it that way? Why do you think there's a problem that way? If you went to market, how would you go to market? Which one of our clients see this pain the most? When our clients spend time with the customers, do they see the problems the same way as as some of the young companies see the problem? And usually it's a back and forth. Some of the young companies realize how to position their solution differently to fit a real world need by our clients. And sometimes our clients realize, hey, this is a problem I didn't realize I had and I'm glad that you're bringing these early ideas to me. And so it really is, uh, it feeds needs to our clients, uh, but also to the accelerators and we're excited to be part of it.
0: Got it. And Laura, I want to, you know, throw the ball to you. What, when, when you were looking about, I guess in the, in the form, formative stage of, of Stratify and I understand it's still a young company, um, you, what were you looking for in terms of a, a accelerator partner?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, uh, and, and you know, we've been part of other accelerator programs as well and, and really find what FIS is offering uh, to be so unique, and I think a lot of that is what Spencer was talking about, the almost multidisciplinary approach uh, that FIS is, is taking uh, to not just innovation but to this accelerator. Uh, what we find is really powerful of uh, being one of the companies is that we are getting an opportunity, you know, not only to explore uh, partnerships within FIS, uh, you know, we're already having discussions around POC opportunities and have multiple uh, discussions in progress with multiple line, lines of businesses. Uh, we're also getting in front of FIS customers, you know, we've already uh, met uh, to date in the program, already met with 12 banks. Uh, wow. and, and by the end of the program, we will we will meet with, you know, at least that more and, and maybe another 20. So. Uh, that's a really unbelievable opportunity, and, and then we also get exposure to, to VCs. We get exposure to to subject matter experts, and it's all around that goal of really accelerating go to market uh, and and accelerating your sales. And I think that that is such a unique uh, a unique angle that the FIS Accelerator takes uh, in in this uh, this program uh, versus many other accelerators where you know it can be a little. One size fits no one. This one is extraordinarily customized. You know, we have a, a champion within FIS, Nicole. She's absolutely fantastic. She's you know helping us uh, you know bang, bang down doors, uh, bang down walls, and, and make things happen. Uh, you know, we have the the venture center who uh, is helps run the program, who kind of serves as the glue between all of these uh, folks that we're meeting, both you know internally at FIS and externally with with their their banking partners. So I think it's really uh, you know, they, they take a very hands-on approach, a very active approach, and it's it's very custom and tailored to each individual cohort company, as opposed to trying to to be kind of a one-size-fits-no-one fits, fits no one very well um, type program. So I think that's really unique and special. And now, a word from our sponsor. At Tearsheet's day-to-day
0: conference, Fiserv's Paul Diegelman drilled down into the future of personal financial management. Paul,
1: you're talking about PFM 2.0. It's actually two separate and distinct applications. Liquidity is a huge problem right now. Just People just don't have time to do things twice. Basically, most parts of the country shut down for COVID. Our PFM user growth was over 20% in the first two weeks alone. Underrated, 100%. How could we use AI to impact PFM? I'm up for anything that helps people. And to help people, you need an
0: economic model. To access the full video from Paul's talk, Go to tearsheet.co slash speed of life. <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. Is your mentor Nicole Jass? Uh,
2: no, uh, Nicole Brock. Nicole. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> no, we had Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> yeah, we had Nicole
0: on the podcast recently. Um, I, so I, I want to stick with, with you, Laura. Like, what has your experience been? Um, you know, I don't know. Spencer said this the first time. Obviously, the world changed. Uh, you did this in an all virtual sort of setting. Like, what was your experience um, participating in an all virtual setting?
2: Yeah, again, I think it's extraordinarily impressive how, uh, you know, FIS adapted the program for that virtual environment. So instead of saying, hey, we're going to take, take the same program and just make it be over Zoom as opposed to in person, right, they, they flipped the script a little bit. So we had a, a pre-accelerate program. So that was, you know, almost two months where we were focused on really developing relationships with our, our FIS champion and internally within the FIS organization. And really that, that pre-accelerate program was meant, one, not to just to jumpstart those conversations internally at FIS, which is so valuable, uh, because you know, FIS is already obviously a, a fantastic and large organization which means things can take time. So it's, it's so beneficial to have that, that jumpstart. Uh, but also to really prepare us to uh, be in the best position possible on day one once we start having those meetings with banks. So we're you know not walking in uh, without having that that guidance and that tutelage from both our our FIS champion and and folks we've met within FIS but also from from folks within the venture center that helped us really hone our pinch for for those banks and and really go in kind of day one of the twelve-week program, you know, uh, uh, you know, not starting, not starting, kind of uh, at-, at home plate, taking swings, right, mm-hmm. uh, uh, ready to really get out there and really succeed. So I think the the way that they adjusted the program because it was virtual, as opposed to just saying, hey, now we're we're doing everything on Zoom, was really impressive and and really a sign of how this program is, is really meant to help accelerate those, the sales discussions and put, you know, cohort companies like stratify in the best position possible to succeed.
0: Yeah. It's also pretty amazing um, how much FaceTime or you got with, with FIS customers that that's, that's very impressive. Um, Spencer, uh, you mentioned this is the, the fifth year that you've been at this. So um, what have the, what, how has the program evolved? What are some of the learnings that you, that you guys have taken, I guess that, maybe filtered back into the program to, to, to change or tweak, or like what have your takeaways been?
1: Yeah, I I would say the, for us and and Wayne's been on this journey, Wayne uh, at the uh, Venture Center has been on this journey with us that um, clarity of purpose is important. Uh, The reason the the accelerator has the name accelerator um, is because we want to take young ideas and accelerate them um, into exposure to our clients so that they can meet real-time needs that they have at the moment. Um, it's not intended to be uh, an investment vehicle. It's not intended to be an investment fund like a venture capital. That's an entirely different model and different approach. Um, And so as we've evolved, that purpose and clarity has helped. Uh, And so as we meet cohorts, we're trying to say to them, we have a large distribution of clients. And as we have this large distribution of clients, they have varying needs. So as we pick cohorts, uh, we're trying to meet Needs that we know and needs that we don't. Uh, So clients are able to say, yeah, that's been on my mind, but I've never really said it before. That's been on my mind, but I haven't really figured out how to solve it before. And they learn as much from our cohorts um, as the cohorts learn from the clients. The other is to take a global view on things. Um, And so you think about things like open banking, it's, it's accelerating in other parts of the world differently than it's accelerating, say, in the U.S., And so you want the cohorts to to be able to be international and global in scope so they learn from each other. And so whether it's San Francisco or New York, or whether it's Singapore and Turkey, we want to make sure we're bringing that diverse points of view uh, to a global mindset to solve global problems for our clients. And so that's that's probably the biggest change for the accelerator is one global in nature, and -hmm. the other is specifically and deliberately trying to accelerate solutions into our client base so clients can meet problems they know and don't know they have.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I guess I want to come back to that uh, from a different perspective. So there are trends, there's different, um, you know, clients need different things in different environments. How has the, the composition of these cohorts changed over the five years that you've been at this? And maybe if you can tease out like, you know, what that might say about, you know, where FinTech is headed, I think that would be interesting.
1: Yeah. I would, I would say, you know, historically in the past, it was a little bit more associated to, you know, we have a business line, Uh, called X, and we're looking for solutions that fit that business line. Um, What it's turned more into is we have market problems, Y, and that could apply to five or six different businesses in five or six different markets around the world. So an example of it would be, uh, we're not trying to solve fraud. We're trying to solve uh, artificial intelligence that drives better decision-making. That could be Mm. applied to fraud. That could be applied to other things. Uh, And as you think through some of these, you find yourself solving multiple problems. So we're not trying to build, let's say a digital solution. We're trying to think through low-code development, which would allow digital capabilities for an assisted or an unassisted channel. And so you, you find yourself thinking about the problems that need to be solved in the market, as opposed to here's the products that could be bought.
0: Great. Um, I want to go back to, to, to Laura and and hear more about um, the problems that you're solving within financial institutions and sort of um, I hear the voice of of the client. Like you know, what are their challenges, and, and how are you helping them?
2: Yeah. So you know, in in our space, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk around. Uh, as Spencer very aptly put, that you know, how can you use AI? How can you use machine learning to enable better decision making? There's a lot of interest in that from from customers, and and you know, folks are very focused on you know how can i leverage this technology to really enhance my operations and improve my operations and what we really find is that a lot of tech companies out there kind of say that they offer transparency but what when they say that you know the type of transparency they're really talking about might you know not really resonate with with folks across that organization may only be transparency for let's say the data scientists within the organization and and many organizations are really looking for something uh, that not just, uh, if you will, translates for those data scientists, but also can make the way to uh, the folks that are typically the ones actually making the decisions, which, which are the, the folks frontline at, at the business, on the business side. Um, and, you know, really looking for technology that that is not just offering, you know, transparency for transparency's sake, but actually transparency that helps them drive, you know, better business outcomes, helps them you know uh, uh increase the inclusivity of of their product suite uh uh something that we're very focused on you know helps them say yes to more customers without increasing risk uh you know really helps uh, enable the humans within the organization with the technology as opposed to saying hey uh, this this technology is here necessarily to replace replace humans um and that's really what we're very focused on at, at stratify um you know we're focused on uh when we talk about transparency really offering uh, a real human level of transparency and understanding that goes uh, into uh, how decisions are making, uh, uh, you know, what goes into them, what comes out, um, so that the, the people uh, that are often on the front lines of making these decisions, whether they're kind of managing folks, they're at, you know, chief risk officer, or a head of compliance, a, a CFO, or they're actually on the ground talking to end consumers, they can really use that technology to uh, uh, gain better visibility and, and make better decisions. We're seeing just an unbelievable need for that, as, as Spencer mentions, kind of across different use cases um, by folks out there, and that's very much what, what we're focused on helping solve.
0: That makes sense, and um, I'm curious to know also how your background um, at J.P. Morgan impacts, I guess, your ability to you know converse with a, a potential prospect um, within a financial institution, do, you know, does it impact it? How how does it impact it? Uh,
2: well, <laughs> perhaps this is self-serving, but I like to think that it's helpful. Okay, um, you know, how so? I uh, so um, you know, I I find that um, a lot of, of folks can kind of come into uh, financial institutions. They're extraordinarily intelligent. They um, have a really p- powerful technology, but they don't really understand the business problems that the folks on the other table or side of the table are really trying to solve. So I think uh, my my background and and other backgrounds of, of those on our team, and it's not just me, but but uh, the backgrounds that we have experience those experiencing those types of problems firsthand really helps us be able to um, make the the our technology, which hey is, it's very powerful it's, it's very uh, cutting edge but make it uh, accessible make it relatable um, make it for for lack of a better term not scary um, uh, Zach which I think is, is so in, in important and, and so valuable um, you know I, I very much was experiencing uh, these types of problems in my uh, role at JP Morgan when we were mm-hmm. you know uh, these problems when I say that of uh, you know, trying to conduct business effectively amidst a changing regulatory environment and not having the technology I needed to compli- comply with with changing regulations. At that time, it was Dodd Frank that we were really dealing with most, uh, but comply with changing regulations, having the visibility uh, uh, to do that uh, behind the technology that we were using um, to really continue to conduct uh, business effectively. Um, and that very much was, I'll say, my aha I had in that seat that that sent me on a path to, to find my co-founders and, and start stratify so i think that that knowing that and having experienced that uh, firsthand even at such a wonderful you know organization like the one i was part of you know helps me hopefully be able to to communicate with folks and, and really try to make uh it, it not uh, not be a, a, a technology I'm coming in to uh, uh, try to sell to them that mm. that uh, uh, replaces them or doesn't value them, but really something that's there to enhance um, enhance their experience, enhance their knowledge. Uh, you know, remove the more uh, mundane and painful things from from what they do every day, um, as opposed to to something that can be more alienating or uh, more foreign.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that interplay at, at work in your current role, um, Spencer. You mentioned. I want to go back to that uh, analogy about innovation being a combat sport. You mentioned the accelerator. You know, sits alongside this this new corporate venture arm um, that that FIS I know created earlier this year. Um, can you talk about um, the ventures initiative and I guess how that plays into your overall innovation strategy?
1: Sure, happy to. Um, so when we think through uh, innovation, a lot of times uh, we we do believe it's a contact sport, but it also takes contact or con. Contextual understanding. So your product manager might be thinking about a problem that needs to be solved um, and they understand the context of the problem working with the, the clients. But we may take an investment in something uh, that accelerates a new capability and, and that's got a financial return that might meet a need in the out years. Uh, but it's, it's a financial return uh, in the FinTech space that may cause disruption. The accelerator and our product investment roadmaps are designed for our clients here and now, uh, for the solutions they have here and now. And so the two, there's an interplay between the two and I would kind of call it horizon one, horizon two and horizon three. Meaning, you know, the the near term horizon is the product sets that we have. The medium term horizon would be things we're doing with partners, things we're doing with the accelerators and the longer term horizon might be areas we're investing in. Um, And the reason I, I believe it's a contact sport is you can't be all things to everybody Um, and the marketplace demonstrates if you try to be all things, all people, you probably are nothing to nobody. Mm -hmm. And so open is important. Uh, Being able to partner is important. And so for us being able to understand horizon one, horizon two, and horizon three and where we play in each area um, is important, but it's also important for our clients to understand that, you know, there's a near term, medium term, and longer term view of where we invest and how we invest to meet their needs.
0: Great. So um, I'm not sure which horizon this would fall under, but given where you sit um, and given the craziness that 2020 was like, what's your outlook on fintech for the rest of the year? And I guess into 2021.
1: Yeah, I I would say probably, you know, some of the areas around open banking would be the the most impactful. Like I Mm -hmm. don't believe um, in an industry, if you step back, whether partner, uh, whether supplier, whether customer, whether client, whether competitor, um, I think the days of closed environments are gone. Uh, I think the days of, of having 12, 18, 24-month investment horizons are gone. Um, I think you could be competing with somebody tomorrow and cooperating with them today um, and trying to figure through how to compete and cooperate at the same time in an open environment. And I, I would argue that fintechs today are solving problems that nobody contemplated five years ago. And they'll be solving problems five years from now that nobody will contemplate as well. And clients are more and more dependent on these fintechs as opposed to competing with them. And you see that across the industry. There's a lot more cooperation across the fintechs, the banks and the suppliers. Uh, And I don't see that slowing down. And I think that's all a byproduct of opening up an environment that's 50 plus years old and it's historically been closed.
0: Yeah, I totally agree on the competition. Laura, um, what are your big audacious goals for Stratify um, over the next 12 months?
2: Great question. Uh, you know, we are, and we chatted a little bit about this, but we're extraordinarily focused on um, bias mitigation and uh, have been focused on it a while uh, for a while, uh, really since the founding of our company. It's one of the biggest, I'll say, so what's we believe of the level of transparency that our, our uh, solutions provide. And, and that is something that is, um, you know, a, a big uh, goal of ours in, in, the, in the short term uh, to really help address that problem meaningfully. Uh, there's been a, a ton of, of course, talk uh, and focus and chatter around this. And we believe we actually have uh, the technology and the product built that can, that can help, uh, you know, begin to, to solve this, you know, unbelievably uh, large and, and challenging problem. Uh, so we are extraordinarily focused on how that can be used to both uncover um, unconscious bias, unknown bias in in data uh, of which it's it's kind of uh, everywhere. I, I always say that it's not a question of if your data is biased; it's a question of how. Hmm. And uh, you know, we are extraordinarily fo- focused on uncovering that. And but not just uncovering it. You know, I think a lot of folks have have always used or historically used that data um, a bit as a, a crutch um, to continue to. Uh, uh, continue uh, BAU or continue business as usual and we have a real opportunity and right now to break that break that down turn that crutch if you will uh, call it into a ladder uh, to get to a better place and you know we we can help folks not just uncover those biases in, in their decision making but but also importantly mitigate them so importantly do something about it so um, that is a, a real focus of ours uh, especially uh, right now because we believe that um, you know, hey, the market has cared about it for a while, and now people are actually moving towards, and corporations are moving towards a place of action. And we want to uh, be uh, the enabler or the technology that helps that happen, uh, you know, at scale.
0: <clears throat> Amazing. Spencer, Laura, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet podcast today.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much.